This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts Well, that's us. Welcome back to the Mod State Podcast, Candace. Happy Thank Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Are you having Happy Tuesday? Yeah. Are you having bad weather where you're at? No, it's it's actually quite lovely here. Hmm. I were like getting this blizzard, this epic blizzard apparently. It's not as epic as I wanted it to be, but I don't know. California, Southern California's had snow. It's all sorts of weird stuff going on, but apparently you're okay. We are fine. Well, I'm glad for that. I think we do have a good show tonight, and I, I guess what's how do you describe the show that we're going to have? Is it um we're discussing isms? Yeah, isms. Uh, isms. I realize that we've talked a lot about words that end with ism. And I've seen a lot of words that went end with ism in the news and, you know, on social media platforms, people seem to talk about a lot of these words and don't seem to use them correctly. So okay. figured we'd give it a shot. I love it. Run through them. What is your favorite ism right now? Don't get me started. Um, I have spent the last four years on a rabbit hole on a Lebanese cosmopolitanism or the fact that one cannot exist. Huh. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have a chance to explore that. That sounds very academic, but it is a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. All right. Well, before we get started, as always, thank you for tuning into the mod state podcast. If you're looking for more opinion pieces or just a different opinion, maybe, uh, or something that you can read, have, head over to modstate.com. As always, wherever you are listening, wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in. Leave your comments. Email us at modstate at modstate.com. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot going on right now, um, so that if anyone had a placeholder in time, if they'd get to go back and listen to this episode, because it likely is you know, fairly relevant and will continue to be a fairly relevant topic. Um, so I don't think this one will like age poorly. Um, but right now, uh, the Supreme Court is hearing Biden student loan. Well, the plaintiff are, are uh, feigning damages from uh, the potential allowance of the executive branch to waive debt. Um, so that will be an interesting one. Um, yeah. But I think that's a whole episode in itself, and I don't. I will have a little bit of time Absolutely. to talk about bef- before the decision is made. So I think you know, John, you, you and I, and John will get on and have a conversation. He loves to talk SCOTUS, and and that'll be a good one. Just just kind of in itself, like how we got to this point, and you know whether things are fair. I'd be interested on in your opinion. Um, and then what else? That seems to be like the big one. And then weather right now is kind of crazy. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's the one thing that stands out to me as like a a news event, but I'm sure there's other stuff going on as well. What's top of mind for you? Um, well, I have spent the last couple of weeks finalizing all of my law school applications, so I have been avoiding the news cycle. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's probably a strong move. Well, I think when you were talking about this subject, I wasn't sure, like, when I really started thinking about the isms, I mean, we have workisms, we have culturalisms, we have politicalisms, we have an ism for everything. Um, and it was, I, I wasn't sure how, like, we would narrow it down. But, you know, I'm going to turn it over to you because I, I think it'll be interesting to try to find some middle ground on definitions. And I think likely we'll probably agree on some definitions, but I'll be, I'll be kind of curious to see which, which way we take this. So without further ado, please begin. Mm, thanks. Thanks so much. Of course. Um, yeah. Didn't we get into talking about this when we were talking about the flag, the U S flag and the way that people feel towards 
the flag in patriot, you know, in patriotic senses mm-hmm. in nationalistic ways. Like it means the f- it means a lot of different things to a lot to of to a lot of people. different people. Yes, and so where one group believes that the only way to be patriotic uh, is one specific way <clears throat> that alienates a lot of other people that may feel like you know the patriotic thing to do is to be critical of your country and the structure. I mean, pretty much everything. Be critical of its ideas collectively, um, and and I th- I kind of probably lean more towards that camp. But that's evolved over time. But that would that could easily be some someone's like anti patriotism. I don't know, or or Absolutely. maybe they don't maybe they Absolutely. don't understand that it is, but it but it is. Yeah, I think about one of my really good friends from undergrad who was a he'd been military police and I when we were having this conversation and the way that he felt the flag, the U.S. flag should be treated was very different from how I saw respect given. And it was interesting because we were both very uh, opinionated on the topic, but the end goal was to work towards the same ideals. But we perceived respecting the flag in different ways to reach those same mm-hmm. ideals. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the things that the, the flag stands for mm-hmm. as an American citizen, the rights that you should have, the respect that you should give people. So it was, it was very interesting. Yeah. And I guess what's you know, kind of pivoting away from patriotism because that just seems to be one that pops out and I think is really tangible for most people because we've heard it one way or another like bumper stickers and um, pop culture well maybe not so much pop culture I'm not sure but um, I mean certainly it's political as well but I was running through like the the isms that I think are popular right now and tell me how right or wrong I may be or if I'm missing any certainly socialism is one of the major boogeymans. Um, communism, probably less. I don't hear as much about that. It seems it still seems kind of hyperbolic. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we left communism behind as a bogeyman and moved towards socialism. Yeah. Um, from our parents' generation to ours. Yep. And then nationalism is one that stands out to me right now. Um liberalism or liberal to be liberal is certainly one which is an archaic ism quite frankly conservatism is one of them um and then probably i mean i'm sure there's an, there's one i'm missing but one that stands out to me that i think is quite interesting in the arc of history over the last 120 years would be neo liberalism which is completely different from liberalism um completely and I think when I learned that particular definition, it sort of tied so much together for me. It was like a light bulb went out in term a light bulb light bulb went on in terms of understanding how history has has acted out over the years in terms of the framework of like FDR and this traditional bigger government socialism, uh, and then that sort of bred with uh, in Reagan's time to become this neoliberal bent away from big government, but it's totally not liberalism. Uh, so anyway, I, so neoliberal is probably my most interesting ism at the moment politically. Oh, absolutely. Another one that I've noticed being thrown around a lot recently is authoritarianism. Oh yeah. Missed that one. People seem to be very worried about the rise of authoritarianism. Should, should they, is that warranted in your opinion? Um, on a global scale, yes, between nationalism and authoritarianism, there is a trend towards the so, two. So you think those fears are rational? Uh, fears, no. Uh, healthy understanding of, yes. Interesting. So you don't think we're quite quite there? there there's not that big of an appetite for it. Maybe it's, the minority is loud. I just don't think fear is a useful, I guess, tool in this sense. Hmm. Okay. Um, what ism have you been 
drawn to, like a moth to a light. Besides my cosmopolitanism. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> right. But that, I mean, that's interesting. I don't think, why Why should we think that you should pick something else? I think that's an awesome one. We, we may not may not get a lot of airtime at the moment, but say it again. What is it? Cosmopolitanism. Cosmopolitanism. But you had it in the context of what, like Middle Eastern? Yes, I was talking about it in the context of Lebanon because a lot of art historians have been trying to apply the word to Lebanon, especially uh, early Lebanon, because they feel it was very liberal and very cosmopolitan, but Mm. they're conflating cosmopolitan with cosmopolitanism. And so there's a lot of academic issues there, but that's another conversation Uh, for another time. Got it. Well, so where, where do we find ourselves right now in the U S like what, why is it important to have these conversations like us literally defining what we mean by the specific isms that define so much of us today? Well, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they seem to be used in a very limiting way to divide people. And you can assume that you know what someone thinks if you can associate them with an ism. And you see that people begin to write each other off and say, oh, well, they believe this. So their whole argument and all the points that they have to make are null and void. And it, there's a really there's a breakdown of communication when you start categorizing people in this way. Mm. But mm-hmm. do you think more than ever that we are kind of at this weird moment in society with especially with social media where you maybe it's maybe actually you can more accurately predict what people believe just by the isms they sort of subscribe to like i think it'd be hard i think it'd be hard for to to kind of narrow me down or be like really specific about what i believe because it would be hard but if i said i was a conservative i think in this day and age with the political divide you could probably with some degree of accuracy um, predict what I believe. I don't know if it's ever been that way. I don't know if it's ever been that way ever in, in like modern history that was so easy to predict, but I feel like it's so easy to predict. Which uh, I would argue is a form of sectarianism, just not religious. Interesting. Well, so sectarianism. Yeah, that's a good one too. So, okay. So what, what about America? Like what, what strikes you as like all these isms that are being thrown around this like negative fashion, right? because it really isn't ever positive. The progressives. No, the- no it's not. Um, I think I'm going to pull up some quotes from this really good book by Amartya Sen called Identity and Violence, The Illusion of Destiny, when he talks about the way identity is built and regarded by social and economic analysts. And uh, the first way they talk about identity is identity disregard, where analysts disregard the influence of identity on behavior. Um, this is get, It's a little bit academic, but it'll pass. And the second way is singular affiliation, which assumes that any person belongs to one identity, Mm. which I have seen become a very socially entrenched entrenched trend. Um, So to quote from his book, he goes on to say that the assumption of having a single identity is not only the staple of many theories of identity. It is also a frequently used weapon of sectarian activists who want the targeted people to ignore altogether all linkages that could moderate their loyalty to this specially marked group. And I'm sure at this point that the whole singular identity thing sounds very familiar, mm. especially in the context of January 6th activities Um, it continues on to say that the incitement to ignore all affiliation and loyalties other than those emanating from the one restrictive identity can be deeply misleading and also contribute to social tension and violence. So with people becoming more, um, 
willing to be grouped with and people ascribing more strongly to these isms and identities, you will see a greater divide of social groups. You will see yeah. more tension, more violence. Like their ethnocentrism sort of mm-hmm. buds mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah. And to, yeah, I mean, to, I'll be fair and I'll say across the aisle, you see it with conservative groups and you see it with progressive groups. Yeah. It, There's a, no one a group knee-jerk is reaction to, to shut everyone else down. Yeah, I mean, it's a self-preservation thing, but it, it also is just, I, to me, it's so intellectually dishonest, but I don't know if we're in Nothing. some weird, if we're in some sort of like weird survival mode that, if, I mean, the pandemic, I think, I think we're understating the effect of the pandemic on everyone. I mean, it definitely was divisive before the pandemic, but like, it just was a catalyst to becoming more ethnocentric, I think, right? We like naturally had to be like we're our communities or our families I, I don't know i don't know if it did maybe it launched us into some crazy it could be i actually noticed less like communal activity like within communities if that makes sense in in the neighborhood i grew up in during the pandemic we would have taken care of each other checked on our neighbors when we, there were hurricanes and our electricity would be out we would do cookouts mm-hmm you know, hop in a boat, get someone somewhere if it's flooded or, Hey, do you need something? Or I don't see that anymore. Yeah. And I didn't see it during COVID. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly, I mean, we're, 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 so, we're so much more like connected in our homes. There's less of a reason to leave. Um, and remote working keeps us at home. Yeah. It's a strange, it's a strange thing. I think if we maybe didn't have this crazy connection, like just like a phone to the outside world, I think it'd it'd be a far more communal, but I think there's a weird um, allocation that's given to the sort of cyber space. We just don't even realize it because yeah, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really, every place we've lived, I've I've never really like got to know our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if anyone's interested in uh, Looking into this topic more, you can always research some communalism. <laughs> communalism it seems very like Denmark esque. Um, what? Okay, so we're, we've kind of just like dived into the isms. I think that are sort of relevant today. Are we missing anything at the thirty thousand foot view? Because I was going to ask a question like, what is the breakdown between like nationalism and patriotism, or is there like almost a mockery of those isms these days because it's just so crazy out there. So they're, they're generally used kind of in correct ish ways or people have the, the feel for how they should be used. But even between like academics, they can't, they've had a hard time teasing out the difference between patriotism and nationalism. So maybe we should start off with saying uh, there were Four, I think, that I picked for us to kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, patriotism, nationalism, authoritarianism, and I have lumped socialism and communism together, even though they are technically distinct-ish from each other. But Nate, what do you, what do you think these words mean? Or what mm-hmm. do they mean to you? It's a good question. Okay, so... We'll start with patriotism. Patriotism. Oh boy. Okay. So I would think patriotism is a boy. This is going to be interesting. I'm trying to come up this like great Webster. You know, I think patriotism is a sense of pride for a territory or a team or a country um, that um, is developed through your reverence and your criticism of its history, its past, present, and future. That's a, that's a pretty good answer. I, Did I do good? That's a good answer. I side with you on criticism of being relevant to the definition. Um, the standard definary de- definition, dictionary definition, according to Stanford's Encyclopedia of Philosophy, is that it is love of one's country. But the first philosophical book, Length, Study of 
uh, patriotism was by Stephen Nathanson in 1993, and it defined uh, patriotism as involving these four things. A special affection for one's own country, a sense of personal identification with the country, special concern for the well-being of the country, and a willingness to sacrifice to promote the country's good. Man, that last one's deep. Um, yeah, mm. interesting in that definition. I mean, those are like four points of, ha- of, of patriotism. And I think there's a lot of people in this country that would honor number four, that, mm-hmm. that sort of bullet number four of like sacrificing, being a martyr for the cause. But then there's also a huge handful of people that, and, and I think, I mean, as someone who was willing I mean, technically in my mm-hmm. former job, <clears throat> it certainly didn't happen, but I had the first hand effects of, of watching what that sacrifice was like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that you are any less or more patriotic if you don't feel like upholding number four. Like, I think you could be so critical of a country that you love and has given you so much opportunity or maybe not at no opportunity. And so there is no, there is nothing but criticism to give. Um, if you live in certain neighborhoods, um, and, and just, or over policed, for example, like what great benefit has this country given you? You could be hypercritical of your country. You could still love your country, but you're like, yo, I'm not ready to advance this cause. And I think that's pretty honest and visceral and emotional. And like, I don't know that that person's less patriotic than someone who was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'll do whatever it takes, you know, to promote democracy. I mean, I have a question for you then. Uh, I got, I got a question for you on that fourth one. Would a willingness to sacrifice to promote the country's good. Could you not argue that that includes staying in a country that maybe doesn't treat you very well and that you suffer a lot in to try and work towards improving the country itself. Yes. And the I, I would, I would say that that would be a, that would be a good, that would be a good way to like define an alternate number four to say that, if you know you're either willing to your willingness to sacrifice to advance the cause or you know you couldn't be like socially just or something that seems like a very loaded that wouldn't that wouldn't be bipartisan but you're like your willingness to like <laughs> leave the country a better place uh than you than you were in it like something to that effect probably more poetic yeah like definitely the thing that bothers me about that is there's some ambiguity right because your leaving it better could be very different from my leaving it better uh and so i could just be a a royal pos uh but i'm advancing the cause and leaving it better than i thought whereas like willing to die for the values of democracy is like pretty sound i mean to advance the constitution democracy as we know in the United States, like everyone can sort of agree on those. You see what I mean? Like I, well, as someone who studied the middle East, I'm not going to go into what it means to send people to advance a cause in foreign countries that may or may not work out in mm. the way that, you know, right. Expected to, yeah. I'm not going to get into that now. Okay. I just, I just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to answer your question with a question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's what's interesting about, because patriotism almost is like a religion for some people, right? Mm-hmm. And, it is an identity. Right. It is an I, you, and if you do something that is against your identity, your reality crumbles. It gets kind of dangerous at that point. But how do, how but, do we how do we as like a human species, like it feels really rigid, right? As like a identity 
the ism to, to, to bear witness to that. Like it seems very black and white. And is that just the way things are? Well, like, I just don't, I don't understand that flex. It's sort of like a, I appreciate principality, but, but rigidity and, and not being flexible is, is totally a bummer. Sometimes it is. And I don't think that the two have to go hand in hand. I don't think that you have to be rigid to be patriotic. I think that there's a form of patriotism in the U S that has become like a cult, a cult of patriotism. But I don't necessarily think that patriotism implies rigid thought or the inability to review your beliefs and change them. Right. I guess that's a good clarification. Um, certainly, I I feel like when patriotism becomes, as it is becoming, more of a, um, you know, a patriotism as your identity, I feel like that's where it swings the pendulum of, like, nationalism. I, you would be correct, sir. <laughs> and, but, so I think, <laughs> I feel like we're, you know, the kind of mockery of patriotism is that it, it just isn't anymore. And I don't find that like that mockery that funny anymore for some reason, because I feel like nationalism is, I, I just feel like there isn't a lot of, I mean, I'm sure there were, so there's times of nationalism, like post nine 11, that was a very real moment for me. I remember, um, there was a very nationalistic, uh, like pride, if you will, um, during world war two. Um, and those were probably extraordinary. I mean, the, the post-world war two boom, I mean, that's just like nationalism at its greatest, the greatest generation, just building the country. Uh, those were probably examples of like great moments of nationalism, but they didn't last too long. Um, and I think it's nationalism is just associated, has this like overwhelmingly negative association, especially today. Yeah. So in, I guess in my own research, I, the way I come across it a lot is two forms of nationalism. So the kind of extreme nationalism that we are dealing with today more often, but there's also nationalism being the act of creating nations. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we the global map kind of switched from empires to nations or nation states. And so the act of creating an identity that's cohesive enough to stabilize those imaginary borders that they rewrote um, is nationalism. Mm -hmm. So when I look at places like the the Emirates, uh, Qatar, Kuwait, and a lot of those um, smaller Arab Gulf countries, they had their own nationalism projects of building a national identity where there had not been a powerful nation state like that before. Building, not to say that there wasn't cultural heritage, but in a lot of the museums, like in the Emirates, there was, and in uh, in Qatar, in their Museum of Islamic Art, you see an ownership of saying, this is our history. And you're dealing with art from Syria, from like Saudi, from Egypt. But the same thing happened probably, with the Louvre. And after the French too. Revolution, they went and took all these, this artwork and they're like, this is ours. And if you go into the Louvre, there's four rondels, like little round plaques in this one square room. And it says, these are the, the great epochs of the French civilization. And it, it goes backwards, French. Roman, Greek, Egyptian. Hmm. Are the French Egyptian? No. But did Napoleon go in? Yes. (laughs) So those are also a form of nationalism, of building a national identity. Um, So where, where does it, oh, sorry, keep going. But nationalism, I guess, the definition centers on two phenomena, also according to Stanford. Thank you. Wait. Do you want to hear my definition? Yeah, actually, yeah, I thought we'd kind of touched on it. Oh, you maybe nail we, on the head, but <clears throat> well, I, I thought I was thinking about it as you were talking. Like nationalism is very much like whereas the patriotism definition is very individual. It's very it's unique. 
uh, nationalism, there's no way to make that like individual. It, it is a collective, it is an intense collective feeling uh, of loyalty to a country or to a cause within that country. And I think if there was like a sub definition, it would be like hyper, it would be that like a, aware of that like hyper feeling, that hyper loyalty that it is weird like it's not always nationalistic and there's a there's definitely a difference and, mm-hmm. and if you've been in a moment where it's heightened there's that like hyper awareness uh it's it's kind of a weird energy and maybe you can feel it like on a sports team or like a, a team like a collective effort um and like groups of people can be really powerful or they can just be disasters that's what i don't know it's a I think you hit on something really interesting. So one thing that didn't come up in definitions of these two terms was what you pointed out, which was the individualism of patriotism and the collective nature of nationalism. But I think that you hit on a point that you touched on earlier, which was that nationalism takes a lot more, takes effort. And in the definitions the of patriotism, all it says is that you have to you can sacrifice for the good of the country. It doesn't say act. So it has a tenet of it's just like a tenet passive. of patriotism. There's a, there's a passive nature to ta- to patriotism. To feel a certain way about the country and to sacrifice that that sacrifice could be passive. I, th- I mean, think about the people that gave up all their tin during World War II efforts. Mm. Right. And but nationalism is explicit, sort of. Read the definition again, or that point. Uh, for patriotism. No nationalism. So nationalism encompasses two phenomena. This is what they can agree on: the attitude that the members of a nation have. Uh, that, okay, sorry. The attitude that the members of a nation have when they care about their identity as members of that nation, and the actions that the members of a nation take in seeking to achieve or sustain some form of political sovereignty. Oh, okay. Which deals way more overtly with the nation state and Mm -hmm. active efforts to maintain that. Well, what, I mean, I think, I think was it Donald Trump, came out and actually said that I am a nationalist um, uh, at one point in his presidency or maybe post. I think it was during his presidency. And I almost kind of giggled at it. Like, what are you talking about? He's just saying something to get people riled up. But it's like, what exactly that sort of, um, you know, I wish, I wish there was a, a, a group of, a large group of people out there that wanted to counter be the counterweight to sort of the negative nationalism that's out there. But that takes, that would take a lot of energy, quite frankly. And it's really easy to be like angry and, and even easier to be angry about boogeymen because it does, Mm -hmm. it takes no energy to be irrational. You can just be whatever. You don't have to think about it. Um, but we we're sort of here at this point, at this moment, I don't know what the question is. Like, is there a momentum slowing? Does the craziness of our current nationalism sort of implode on itself because of its weirdness in, in irrationalism or irrational irrationality rather? I don't know. I'm just rambling, but like, what does it mean to you now? I have a sense that the next election will tell us a lot about what the answer will be. Interesting. Um, So if, if we were to go back to back Democrat, it would set a huge tone that the majority of the country is sort of fed up with shenanigans. Well, it would also give you a longer rest period. Right. So there's some other tempers to subdue a bit. Got it. I mean, it didn't take, it, it took four years to get where we were from a cultural perspective and divide with Trump. I mean, it definitely was starting prior to that. One could even argue it, it was back when Obama was running. President Obama was running. 
with his birth certificate. That was like the underbelly. But, um, I mean, so maybe it took eight years. So maybe it takes eight years to break a cycle. But what my, my, my thing is, is like anger doesn't come out of thin air. Like, I think there needs to be this perfect brew of like discontent um, in order for like true kind of the hateful nationalism to come out. But like what caused all that? Like where, where we're at? I know this is like a complete tangent on this ism, but I mean, I've got a few ideas, but I'm curious because I haven't heard yours. What my idea is, I think it's something that we talked about a little bit last episode. Um, You'll have to excuse my cat. Yes. Hello. Hello, sir. He has his own thoughts on the podcast. (laughs) Um, Could you, yeah. Could you say your question again? What my thoughts are on. um... Yes. We have arrived at a point where we like the angry nationalism doesn't come from nowhere. It's not just out of thin ice. Like there's a foment of discontent that we there's clear that's clear that's been brewing for a while. And, and now there was a catalyst that allowed it to just take off. And and there was sort of irrational Mm -hmm. anger, some like warranted anger, but then sort of irrationality won over and so we're at this point, and I've always been curious to ask people, like, what do you think the source of that anger truly is? And, and like, where did it come from? So I have a couple thoughts on this. And one is that when the predominant power holders of a society are moving away from being that majority power holder, you often see a lot of conflict and a lot of violence. There is this fear of being left behind, a fear of not being in control anymore because they don't know what the future is going to look like. And I think we do have some of that, um, especially with white male populations. Yeah, I've seen that conversation crop up more and more. But you also have... People are not angry for no, I, I guess for no reason, like if people mm. are content, if their jobs pay enough, if most of your population is thriving, they can set aside savings, take care of their family, take vacations, have job security and general happiness. Does the entire country start moving towards, you know, camps of discontent? No, blaming I would say, each other. I'd say less likely. Uh, and yeah. I, I tend to agree broadly with how we're, where we're at. I think, I think actually I think the financial crisis of, <clears throat> you know, 2007, eight, nine, like it, it still took a lot of people a long time to unbury themselves. And I could see how that would really cause some anger. Um, yeah. But then misguided or not, like once you're angry, you're, you're angry. It doesn't take too much to get ramped up. I don't think. So. Especially if someone gives you who's at fault, you know, yeah. they give you a target. You know, it's interesting because I feel like to build off of this nationalism piece, I think there's like this sub political definition that I've liked neoliberalism. I do think if I, if I make as bold a prediction, I do think that this is sort of, I think neoliberalism and probably more of this political economic, um, frameworkism like um socialism but that seems like a heavy word to use but you think of fdr when he really expanded the federal government and brought uh, although world war ii really brought us out of the great depression but created a lot of these social programs and there's a lot of government support um the it's interesting because that was a framework that existed all the way to reagan and both conservatives and democrats or you know, liberals and, and conservatives, they all won presidencies, but the framework by which they governed had a more socialist bent to it. Eisenhower was a conservative or Republican, I suppose, but he operated within a big government sort of model of conservative 
power. So there were still, you know, there were still large government programs. There was, there was the, the, the welfare system was being built. Like it, it was a very different, the GI bill giving free money to veterans. Uh, it, it, there was a huge shift in human capital. It was really good times. And like everything, there's a cycle that comes to an end there's you'll never be able to sustain that i don't i don't just i don't believe that you know i think it's good to have ebbs and flows but the next one that came on board was this neoliberalism idea of very very small government i think reagan said it himself it's like you know basically fomented this don't trust the federal government like and and that i think just it was a destabilization of the political landscape at the time. And now it was this idea that government wasn't your friend, deregulate big business. And now we have capitalism. Mm -hmm. Although capitalism still, capitalism still operated under that big government sort of social, more social bent big government. Uh, It just, it adapted in neoliberalism. So I'm talking so much, but I just think it's so interesting. Yeah, no, it totally is. And I've always found it so fascinating that in the U.S., we really have this social concept that we need to be doing things for business as if these just systems of people making arbitrary decisions, and I've seen some of them, and they're just, some people can't even do math, like, oh, wow, Um, have, should like have the same rights and priority as just regular citizens in society. And there's been more and more move in this reaction against communism and against socialism and I guess holdovers of McCarthyism to really prioritize the business, company, entities, industry, I mean, at the sake of regular human beings. So there is a, a balance to be had and mm-hmm. people really take one side or the other without kind of figuring out what the end goal is, right? How do you have a healthy economy and support business without not supporting citizens, not supporting literally your neighbors and the people that you live mm-hmm. next to? And there's certainly been... Right? Like, you, you, can't forsake, you can't forsake one for the other. Yeah. Yep. And maintain any kind of healthy balance. I mean, yeah. well, that's the definition of that, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I do think for for whatever reason, this is, I, I th- if I if I were to predict, and not because I have a bias one way or another, but I do think it'll look different from FDR, I think, but there will be, I think, and again, it's not for tr- for lack of trying hard at all. Like I think most people, I would say the majority of people want to be productive members of society. Um, and if it becomes unsustainable to be able to, you know, transcend up that cultural hierarchy or Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's going to get kind of angry. And there will be a call out for more oversight. I think the younger generation, I will be very interested to see how they, as they grow up a bit to see where they want broadly like how they want the government to be in their lives and i just have a feeling that it isn't that they want government in their lives i just think that they will demand more support or they they will demand more of their tax money benefit them as opposed to the dod or you know something else and i Mm -hmm. think that's totally reasonable i i really i don't think that's totally unreasonable either i think that's the whole point of I mean, the U.S., the whole point was, like, to support, I don't know, We it's pretty broad. But that's the whole point, is to support the citizens who live there. Correct? Yeah. I mean... I mean... Uh, yes, it, it makes why sense. Would you, why would you build a country that's like, well, unless you're a dictator, why would you build a country, right? America, it's like, oh, the citizens, we're the land of the free. Free to do what? Be the, you know... Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way I look at it is force for a government. Yeah. So, I mean, this is clearly just talking about the, the transition from potentially neoliberalism to this like new for, framework. And this is the growing pains of it. You know, I, 
like there will always be federal taxes. I'm sorry. There, there's, there's never going to be, if we stay as divided as we stay, there's going to be minimal, uh, minimal budging of, of what we will owe in taxes. If not probably more and then we'll go backwards and then more and we'll go backwards. But I know I got to pay. So I just would like that to benefit me in a really meaningful way. Like obviously like what comes back to our States, like roads, safe roads, safe infrastructure, safe water. I want all of those things. I also think I should be getting a better bang for my buck. If I'm going to pay, then maybe my healthcare would be pitched in too. We could maybe work Uh on that as a thing. Um, that would be equally as competitive, uh, but anything would be competitive if it gave me all of the same options for even half the price of what I'm paying in premiums right now. So, um, but I just think, I don't think that's like an unreasonable demand. If you know that you're not really going to ever change a specific part of the federal government, so then demand something, a a different ROI uh, for what you're giving into the system. That's a completely Yeah, easy well, thing it's really debate. funny that you say that though, because the reason that you have such high premiums is because insurance, you know, as a whole industry, as a whole system, has allowed themselves to do this. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's you could say the same thing about public or you know, education, higher education. There's that mm-hmm. <laughs> that could be, Ab- could oh, be applied absolutely. to a lot. So where um you know, I do think Okay, so we're also, we've also haven't touched on um, socialism, I think is a big, it's a boogeyman. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to. I can run through those real quick. <laughs> well, <laughs> I. Just to throw them out there. But... I mean, I think, I wonder, well, I wouldn't even begin to try to give a definition of socialism because it, I mean, I'm sure there's a great one sentence definition out there, but it it's a big thing to try to define in one sentence. Um, but I wonder, you know, like if we create boogeyman's, right? So there's like, there's boogeymen out there like immigration, right? So, which means black and brown people, like being scared of that boogeyman. Um, that isn't, um, it's hard to like, it's not like a word, like socialism, right? When you talk about immigration, it's pretty delicate. Like you have to, you have to be pretty clear about what you're talking about in terms of immigration. Is it the border? Uh, is it like work visas? Like what are we talking about in terms of immigration? So it can be a negative thing to some people, but it's harder. It doesn't have the same bite that like socialism has like you socialist. And, um, and, and I, I don't know, I guess I wonder though, like we've talked about all of these changes that I do think will eventually happen over time, given a, every generation's sort of demands and ROI equation on what their country can give to them and what they're willing to put into it. Um, sort of norm, you know, equip, equip your rights, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, that's horrible. Um, I just wonder... Um, if the being or making fun of socialism will sort of implode on itself because I, because it'll just be like, you loser. Like, why are you boogeyman boogeymaning socialism again? Like it, like, will it, will it be, I, I don't know if it ever will, but I wonder if over time that's the way when you start crapping on socialism, it'll be easier to point to social help like uh, childcare and things that really just bring everyone up from they the really very do. bottom. I don't know why we would be upset w- about that. Would be, but... would, and there'll be some hiccups. It won't be perfect, but that kind of stuff would just broadly help everyone. So it sort of redefines what maybe modern socialism is and becomes harder to crap on. I I think that a lot of people use socialism and communism as boogeymen because of where they came from and the countries and systems that have implemented them to varying degrees of success or lack thereof. And especially 
actually as a foil to U.S. cultural imperialism after World War II. So, right, we were setting yeah. ourselves up against these other countries yeah. who we were not allied with, who were socialists and communists, and to also prevent their influence. I mean, that's that's the red scare. It's, you got to fight communism, you fight yeah. socialism, you. I mean, it, it may be, and this is this is going to sound almost like an economist just talking about units, like people are just units. But it 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 sounds sad to say, but I think if you believe that we're better without that mindset on a specific sort of political economic theory, um, that it really means that that entire generation that really had all of that true experience um, around like communism, Soviet Union, the Cold War, um, countries that were, were, were communist, uh, like they, it did some real damage. And I think there's a lot of real deep feelings about that, that I think we'll never be able, they're just so like in the DNA of so many people that you'll never be able to just be cool with it. And it would actually take that generation to not be here anymore where there's not that memory, that point. right? Like there's that memory kind of fades. That, well, that's this is sad why I to... wanted to have this conversation was Marx, right? Karl Marx was writing in critique of capitalism, right? So again, he's some white dude in Europe. Okay. Make critiquing capitalism. Maybe his version, you know, of things wasn't very great either. Like there are some, we're not going to get me started on Marxism, but let's just say I'm not very Marxist. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't critiquing something about capitalism that we are still feeling today, right? So there, there mm -hmm. clearly is something that doesn't work. And maybe that's not a Marxist communism or socialism, but that doesn't critiquing. mean, yeah, and reaction to saying, well, I don't like you know, communism, not, oh, Marx is so bad. That doesn't mean that capitalism has no ills, right? So how do we, as a society, learn to have these conversations by saying like, look, I'm not socialist or I'm not communist for saying that capitalism has some very, very uh, detrimental kinks to it, but we should be able to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Right. You shouldn't be scared of an ism. Just learn what it means. Right. I'm not Marxist, but he was mad about something that makes my life a little bit miserable, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's you could probably just about anything that exists. There's something worth critiquing about it. I, That's how we make it better. I mean, yeah. come on, guys. It's a feedback loop. Yeah. Um, so. Right. So we I think. Is it worth talking about, um, <laughs> like authoritarianism? Because I think you, we could have a entirely, an entirely different conversation about like, um, we we really didn't talk about like liberalism. But I think I think most people on this show are pretty hyper aware of you know the modern day liberalism versus mm -hmm. conservatism. But I, I there's some interesting ones out there like libertarianism, um. There's so many, I don't know what the like anarchism and then mm -hmm. sort of authoritarianism. I know that those are different things, um, but there's always, a, there's a huge spectrum, right? So they just maybe fall in different spectrums. Mm -hmm. I think on this list of isms, I just started putting together because there's political, political, economic, social, mm -hmm. we have patriotism, nationalism, authoritarianism, liberalism, neoliberalism, fascism, anarchism, capitalism, communism, <laughs> globalism, Marxism, post-globalism, socialism, extremism, racism, sexism, cosmopolitanism, multiculturalism, feminism, sectarian. It, it goes on <laughs> and on. There's so many isms. You, you know, you can't be scared of them all. <laughs> no. Well, and it's also kind of dumb to be like worked up over something maybe you don't fully understand, which is, mm -hmm. I guess why we, I guess why I can have this conversation. I really don't get worked up about any of them. Um, I just think they're really interesting. Well, any, okay. I love this. We should definitely do like a 15 minute or on like, we'll just like deep dive one, like some weird one at a time ism that came out of like, that's maybe we don't fully understand how it's shaped who we are today. I don't know. Can't even think of one right now. Um, 
Any other thoughts on your isms? There's so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there really is. There's so much. Just, guys, just if you don't understand one, research it. If you see someone using it incorrectly, I maybe don't go grammar Nazi on them. But well, have a conversation with them despite their misunderstanding. Right. Well, I feel like I probably don't understand these as much as I should to be even telling someone that they don't and understand. None of us can, right? They're, so. they take years of study to be an expert <laughs> in a couple. So. Yeah. Okay. Let's take off our philosophy, cultural, political critique. And let's try to answer questions from the United States citizen citizenship test. Let's see how okay. patriotic we are. Ugh. Can you answer these questions from the United States? Okay. What does the cabinet do? Enforce federal law, enforce global policies, create new bills, or advise the president? Advise the president. Okay, good job. Advise the president. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what month is the U.S. presidential election held in? We all know it's November. Okay. We're doing pretty good. I remember that distinctly. Who signs bills to become laws? Congress, the Supreme Court, Vice President, or the President? Well, you know, if the President says he does, I guess yep. he can just do it. Ooh, how many U.S. Senators are there? 50, 100, 435, or 356? 100. Oh, 100. I'm telling you, I don't pay attention. Okay. Thank you. There are four amendments. To the how con- little I care. <laughs> there are four amendments to the Constitution about who is allowed to vote. Which is not one of them. Citizens must be 18 years or older. Citizens do not have to pay to vote. Both men and women can vote. And citizens must be born in the U.S. to vote. Which is not? What is not one of those? Oh, you don't have to be born in the U.S. to vote? That is correct. Um, Which is a civic duty only for citizens of the U.S.? Paying taxes, protesting, serving on a jury, or serving in the army? Which is a what? Uh, a civic duty only for U.S. citizens. Um, serving on Would a jury? Serving on a jury. I mean, could you be in the... Yeah, I mean, I know. I think it's serving on a jury. That's correct. Okay. Awesome. Yes. All right. I feel like the U.S. Army <laughs> will take whoever helps advance its... Yeah, goal. I mean, there was there's path to citizenship, so, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, how many amendments does the Constitution have? 11, 14, 27, or 21? Oh, God. How many amendments? How many have been repealed? So far, I'm just kidding. 11, 14, 27, or 21? Are we at 21? 27 or 21? I feel like we're at 21, but there's probably 27. It is 27. I should read my, pull out my pocket constitution. Which is the supreme law of the land? The president, the constitution, the president's cabinet, or the supreme court? The constitution. constitution. We're doing great. Uh, Who was the first postmaster general of the United States? I don't know. George Washington, John Quincy Adams, Benjamin Franklin, or Andrew Jackson? It's gotta be, it's gotta be BF. Big Frank. Yeah, it was Big Frank. Who started the first free libraries? John Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, or Benjamin Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. I feel like first that was... Free libraries where? I don't... I hear. <laughs> um, it either has to be Big Frank or, or TJ. John Adams was a big government guy, wasn't he? So maybe he started mm-hmm. free libraries, but I don't feel like... I feel like that's a Franklin thing. He was over there doing his little... Yeah, it's BF. His Big little vibes. Which is not one of the two parts of the U.S. Congress. Supreme Court, Senate, or House Representatives. Okay, gimme. Supreme Court. All right, we'll just do a couple more. How many years is the presidential term for... Dude, what? we're crushing this. I don't know about that. What do we call the first 10 amendments to the Constitution? 
the Bill of Rights. Okay, well done. I will tell you we did much better. <laughs> Bill of Rights. <laughs> we did much better this time than we did last time. So We did. I thank you for being on. Um, John has been doing a lot recently, so he will be back. Um, he'll either be back with me just to kick the dust off, get things rolling, or we'll, we'll all come back together. But the plan is to be together. Uh, maybe not every single podcast, but certainly as, as many as we can because it's always fun um, to do everything together. Um, but yeah, uh, you can send me any of your sources that you want for any of that. You have a really good write-up. I'll, I'll see if maybe, I don't know, I wish I could post that in there, but maybe I'll just post that. I can clean the, it up and send it. The entire show notes. But yeah. yeah. Well, as always, it's an honor and a privilege to do this. Uh, now, uh, week in and week out. So until next time, we'll see you.